All right, good evening. We're in the book of Proverbs again tonight. We've been looking at a topical study, uh, various topics, and that's the great thing about the book of Proverbs. There's all kinds of little nuggets of truth that um, in these simple statements, these very, that's what proverba means, uh, very basically short sayings that are uh, applicable to our life and to godliness. And so I think the book of Proverbs is one of those books that ought to be studied continuously and memorized and added to in our own, um, in our own Christian walk. How's that? Well, we're going to begin with just a verse, and it says this, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Lord, as we open up this book again, thank you for the wisdom that is found here, the wisdom from on high. And we ask, O oh God, that you would teach us as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Call my notes up here. <clears throat> there we go. So anyways, uh, I want to look at this. Uh, this topic tonight is going to be on self-control and on because uh, the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about how we ought to control our life and, and how we ought to act and behave and those kind of things. I'm not going to go into all the details of that, but there are several areas that the book of Proverbs uh, touches on. And we look at areas needing control. And the first one, uh, it goes with our verse that we just read there, is the, uh, vo- uh, the issue of anger and emotion. Anger and emotion are probably the things that drive us to do things that we regret, probably more than anything. Um, And sometimes we launch out in a heat of the moment and do things we regret. And the book of Proverbs, as we internalize that, kind of gets us back to what God expects for us and what he warns us about. And I think it's important uh, that we look at that. In uh, Rudyard Kipling's poem, probably my favorite poem, Uh, poem if uh, by Rudyard Kipling there's a a phrase there he says if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you of course he ends that poem with and you'll be a man my son he talks about he links manhood and the ability for a man to control himself like keeping your head when all about you are losing theirs um, as something that is the highest of virtues and I think it's important that as a Christian we keep our heads about us in a world that is absolutely filled with a lot of angry people, chaos, and um, sometimes out of control people. And we have to be aware that that can come to our house as well. So we have to be careful with that. Anyways, I want to look at that because anger is a big one. And the book of Proverbs has several verses. First of all, Proverbs 14.29. He who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive, exalts folly. And there, again, the issue of someone who, they they might get angry, but it takes a lot to get them angry or to push back. And I think that's a mark of a believer, as we're controlled by the Holy Spirit, that we won't have just these outbursts that come. Uh, Rather, we shouldn't be impulsive or act like the fool, as it says there. And uh, there was a lady who once said, you know, she had a friend who came to her and said, does your uh, husband um, have a temper? And she says, oh, no, he loses it all the time, you know. <laughs> and that is probably, you think about the amount of marriages and relationships and jobs and everything in life that can be damaged by a temper that is lost. 
and it doesn't take much, the friendships and those kind of things. And I think as we follow these simple sayings from the book of Proverbs and actually implement them in our life, um, it'll make us better here for others around us. A wrathful man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger always, or or uh, lays contention, it means puts it aside, lays contention. And again, you have these couplets of sayings, right? A wrathful man stirs up strife, and then you have an opposite. But he who is slow to anger allays contention. So Jesus put it this way, blessed are the peacemakers, right? I think he wants more diplomatic followers, people that will go into a room and there's contention going on, and they're able to bring a calming effect to those things. Um, Some of the police officers I've worked with over the years um, for the most part, most of them know how to bring peace to a situation. Sometimes they have to, well, resort to force if someone wants to come at them or is, is harming others. But most of the time, I mean, really, most of the time, uh, you can take a situation that's heated and you can bring it down. And they're trained to do that. Um, I asked one state trooper, he's been in for almost 25 years, and I said, how many times have you actually had to go and wrestle somebody to get him arrested. And he says, really? Not a lot. He says, maybe half a dozen times in his whole career he's had to wrestle somebody to arrest him. I mean, arrest, you know, wrestle where they were actually moving, <laughs> really wrestling, you know. Sometimes people don't want to go, but they usually comply. But most of what they do is just playing, you know, the person that could bring some calm to a situation and do that, even those that might be filled with wrath at the moment and that does happen uh proverbs seventeen fourteen: the beginning of strife is a strife is like releasing water therefore stop contention before a quarrel starts hmm, that's good advice isn't it stop contention before a quarrel starts there are those i think and sometimes they're believers or professing believers that they wait to stir up trouble and start a quarrel. And they're just waiting in the wings to do that. Like, okay, this topic comes up, that comes up, and they're going to start and they're going to do that. Um, there are a few people like that that over the years I've run into, and thankfully there's nobody right now that is in my life that's doing that. But I can say that there are those that uh, you know when you go and talk to them, it's going to be an argument. And that's just the way it's going to be. Um, and so you have to prepare yourself ahead of time to not go into that way. And it's like the beginning of strife is like releasing water. You can't bring it back once you release water, can you? You dump the bucket, the water's gone, all right? And you can only hopefully, you know, hold it back before it starts. And that's the idea with what that verse is talking about. The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. That's really something, that verse right there. The discretion of a man, and I would say it's not just men, but women too, makes him slow to anger. That's what God wants for us, to be slow to anger. And look what it says, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. In other words, you're not out there always looking to find fault with somebody and stirring up trouble in doing so, but instead you say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to lay that aside. I'm not letting that get into my heart or make me explode with anger or those kind of things. You're slow to it. And it doesn't mean that you, you don't eventually react, like you're not a pushover. I, 
I think of the illustration that was told of an Irish boxer. And he was a, a very famous boxer in Ireland. And uh, he became a Christian. And he gave up boxing and he became an evangelist. And one night as he was getting ready to have some evangelistic meetings, he was setting up for that. And a group of thugs showed up. And they wanted to tempt him. They had heard he'd become a Christian. And so one of the men came up to him and, and stood right in his face and turned around and just slugged him as hard as he could on, on one, right in his face and actually knocked him back and he, he fell down. He got up and kind of gathered his composure again. He stood back up and he said, Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Here it is. So the man slugged him on that cheek. He went down again. That time he got up. And he looked at the man, he says, Jesus gave no other instruction. <laughs> In other words, don't do it again, right? You get it. He gave no other instruction. Listen, there comes a time when sometimes you have to push back to the bully or push back to someone who is angry and in your face or just provoking you in those ways. But let it be a controlled aspect. And I dare say those men didn't want to see his fists come at them. And that ought to be the way with us. Doesn't mean that you will be a pushover, but rather meek. And that's what that phrase there. The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger. He's meek. And his power is under control. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 24 says, Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man do not go. Why? Lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. I can tell you this, there are people that I have met over the years, and sometimes you befriend them, only to realize that they're people that get angry at the slightest thing. And when that happens, often you get called into that. It's one way or the other. Sometimes it's just embarrassing, right? I've had that happen. Um, I worked with a man once that he would just had these outbursts of anger, and little things would just tr- uh, trigger him. And you never knew. And it was like you came into the room, and you just kind of, Everybody around him knew he had that problem, and you just kind of, it was like a minefield. You, you weren't sure how it would blow up today, where it would blow up, and that's the way minds are, right? You're walking along, and all of a sudden, boom, right? And pretty soon, you're, you know, out for a while. And that was kind of the way it was, and nobody likes to work with somebody like that, let alone be a friend with somebody like that, that has these angry outbursts. And the reason is, lest you... Learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. We learn bad habits from people, don't we? Around us, sometimes very close people and friends. You are known by the company you keep. And if you're going to keep that kind of friendship with someone, you'll find yourselves emulating those characteristics. At least that's the danger in that. Anger is a big one. And again, I wonder how many lives have been destroyed by anger. Another one that the book of Proverbs talks about in self-control is alcohol and intoxicants in general. Um, The principle in the Bible uh, in regard to alcohol is not to be controlled by it. Um, The Bible does not totally prohibit uh, alcohol in the sense like wine. However, it's painted most often in a negative light. And in the book of Proverbs, it is in a negative light. Um, elsewhere in scripture the only positive references are talking about new wine and wine that was for instance a picture of joy and in the psalms that is seen in that however drunkenness was always frowned upon and forbidden under the law and in that in the book of proverbs 
Chapter 20, verse 1, it says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whosoever is led astray by it is not wise. And I will just say that that's a pretty good, um, pretty good statement for us because how many of us throughout our years have come in contact with somebody or even had yourself affected by drinking alcohol and then having that play itself out? either as i I remember one uh, like it says wine is a mocker that means that you end up uh getting mocked looking like a fool or mocking others looking making them look like a fool and then strong drink is a brawler you get drunk enough and as i had a first sergeant used to say this one too many cans a loud mouth and one too many cans of courage and he would refer to that because some guy would have been brought in by the MPs and, and he was brought in because he was drunk and he got in a big bar fight and all that kind of stuff. And that was his, his term for how uh, drinking made someone turn into a brawler. And it is true. We get a false sense of courage and a false sense of direction in that. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Very simple. It was Winston Churchill who uh, one day asked George Bernard Shaw, and he said this, Do you really never drink any wine at all? And Shaw replied, I am hard enough to keep in order as it is. (laughs) In other words, if you add wine on board, you'd end up having no control whatsoever. And that's really the idea that, you know, some cannot even go near it at all and should not at all. And I would just say that I think that... We'd be a lot better off in our world if we didn't have that like that. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? (laughs) Talking about somebody who is an alcoholic here. Those who linger long at wine. Those who go in search of mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. That's the fermented kind of wine. At last it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea or like one who lies at the top of the mast saying, They have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake that I may seek another drink? And again, that false sense of courage, right? Up there on the mast, picture that. And somebody's hollering, uh, they can't hurt me. And when they get beat up, they say, that didn't hurt, right? Uh, I'll tell you, um, I've seen firsthand how many times that is the end result of someone who is led away by intoxicants. And... I would say this, by the way, that in America, in the United States, I'm just going to pick on our country for a bit. Um, it's interesting that we, in a, as a culture, don't frown that much on alcohol consumption. Actually, it's promoted for the most part, and hopefully not in the church. But what I'm saying is generally it's really promoted. And yet it leads to thousands and thousands of deaths every year. I looked up some stats And just from 2015 to 2019, uh, the average deaths per year due strictly from excessive alcohol use. So, you know, 
the liver fails, uh, you know, uh, eventually you drink yourself to death, that kind of thing. There are about 140,000 deaths that are attributed to alcohol consumption or over alcohol consumption, about 380 per day. That is just a fraction of probably the greater number, which is just premature deaths that result because you had a hard life, you abused uh, alcohol, for example, and you did that. There are about 12,000 alcohol deaths per year in related automobile crashes. And that is down significantly only because cars are safer. And, you know, we still crash as much, but we just don't die as much in automobile accidents. But let's, let's go from alcohol to just intoxicants in general. And, and by the way, I look in the state of Maine, and many of the states have now... I think they're promoting because it's all licensed through the state and there's money involved that goes to the state and taxes and all that. Um, Like, for instance, uh, cannabis and the use of recreational drugs that are used. And I know there's some that say, oh, it helps me so much and all that. And my doctor has prescribed it and those kind of things. I'm not a doctor. I don't pretend to be one. And if your doctor says something in this and that, I'm not going to get in between your doctor and you. But I will say this, that generally... Just using like the use of a soft drug like marijuana will slow people's reactions to things. That's why commercial drivers, when you go take your physical, they do a drug test usually, right? Those kind of things. Because, and I think of all the amount of damage that is done annually from people that are just high as they're out driving and out working and the lost production that goes on and those kind of things. That's a soft drug. Now, if you've heard on the news, of course, since about 2014, 2015, we've had what we call um, synthetic opioid named, you know, called fentanyl that is mar- it's not just marketed as a medical uh, pain reliever, which is a controlled substance, but rather sold out there and mixed with other drugs a lot. And we are seeing an epidemic of overdoses. We're seeing them right here in Aroostook County. We're seeing them in the St. John Valley regularly. I've had to use Narcan in the last year more in, on EMS calls <clears throat> than I had in, in the, a lot of years prior to that. Uh, and that's going on. To give you an idea of that, um, fentanyl deaths, and oh, I, I guess I, I merged two, um, two slides, <laughs> and I will talk about this here in a second. That blue line on the side there, that's from year 2014 to 2020. And you can see the fentanyl overdose deaths are going like this. And to understand those stats in the previous one, in 2020, there was reported 37,000 deaths by fentanyl. Probably more than that, but that's what was reported. Um, it was 41,000 in 2021. They estimate last year around 70,000 people overdosed and died on fentanyl and this year it's estimated it'll be over 100,000 but total deaths by just drugs like cocaine and you know other uh, drugs that are used but fentanyl being the big one has just skyrocketed in the last little bit Uh, and again I think as we go further from the bible and the teaching of the bible with our young people and also that these drugs and these, you know, alcohol as well is very something that will cause you to become addicted very easily for some. And fentanyl, even one hit of fentanyl, will sometimes cause people to have an addiction to it. It's that strong. And so, uh, wouldn't it be great if around the kitchen tables of America, moms and dads sat down and said, let's read the book of Proverbs. 
And let's go through that book. And when you hit on verses that deal with wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise, the Bible says, that would be a good time to teach on those things from a biblical perspective. And by the way, that doesn't necessarily stop the use of it. But I'm just saying, I don't think we should even flirt with it. Alcohol and intoxicants. And then overlaid on this slide, you have firearm deaths. And by the way, you hear all the time the amount of deaths and homicides and murders and and firearm-related deaths and guns are evil and all this stuff. And they are a fraction of the deaths that occur. And, And by the way, all death is bad. I'm not saying firearms death is somehow better. It isn't. Death is death, and it's very sad. But you only have about 45,000 deaths by firearms in the United States every year. And that has increased slightly because the population has increased. Suicides account for 24,000 of those. So strip those out, and you're, you're down you know, 20,000, just over 20,000. 19,000 are from homicides, people killing other people. And out of that, anywhere between one to 5,000 are considered justifiable homicides. That means like a police officer has to use a deadly force to stop someone who's you know, a threat. And that, they kill that person, and that's, you know, if it was a proper a justifiable homicide. It's called a homicide, and a homicide by firearm, or a homeowner that shoots a burglar that's breaking in and going to do them harm, those kind of things. And those are all lumped into that. And there are about 5,000 of those a year that they estimate on the high end, a thousand lower, and it's just on the reporting aspect. A lot of them are just reported as homicides, but if you dig a little further, many of them are justifiable. So you can knock down that one. And by the way, accidental firearm discharges is less than 400 annually in the United States. And yet, they say that's the most dangerous thing you can have. No, the most dangerous thing is what's probably in your fridge or in your cupboard, and it is the alcohol that's sitting in there by far or the intoxicants people are putting in, or the introductory drugs that they're putting into their system that lead to stronger things like fentanyl. And I just say that not because I I don't like the hobby horse, one topic, but the Bible talks about that. And it warns us. And if we don't heed God's warning, we can expect what we're seeing, like in our nation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know if they're linked per se, but it's the idea of self-control, you know. And, and hey, you, you know, we haven't, we have, we're very prosperous people. And it's easy to overeat. It's easy to overindulge. It's easy to do. And not, you could go on in every aspect of the lusts of the flesh, right? I mean, you can look at a hyper-sexualized society today. And we're going to talk more about that in another study in Proverbs. But just that area where there is so much of that going on and being flooded into people's living rooms and minds and computers and everything else. And you have young children now, I mean really young, that are, well, they're not only engaged in things they shouldn't even be aware of, um, but, you know, promoting it. And that's, that's a scary thought, you know, but that's going on and stuff like that. And so those are all areas that we really have to be concerned about. And you know, again, you see one, I, I, where I say alcohol tends to be a graver issue or the consumption of intoxicants is that it affects so many people around you. Um, 
gluttony, yes, it's, a, it's wrong, but you're pretty much affecting yourself and your health and those closest to you. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you do. Yeah. It is. Right. Three hundred thousand people. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Obesity is it's bigger than that. When you count in diabetes and you count in all that. I mean, the reality is we're in bodies that are going to fail due to some health issue, right? That's going to happen. Um, and but what I'm saying is, when you come to areas that specifically, like the Book of Proverbs talks about. Um, this is a big one, you know, as far as intoxicants. And it's an area where we want to dumb ourselves down. We want to numb ourselves down. And as a Christian, that's not what God wants for his followers. He wants us, I think, to be as sharp as we can be. And I've often said it this way, that, yes, you know, I'll leave the door open for what the Bible talks about for, like, for Timothy, when Paul says, take a little wine for your stomach sake or whatever is there aspect of health that can be gained from drinking wine well your doctors will probably say yes there's some health you could probably drink grape juice and you'd get the same thing okay the health benefits of course you get all the sugar too but you look at those kind of areas and people flirt with those things saying oh it's okay but it opens the door often to something for some especially to go a lot further and uh and I often think of that. Like when I was probably in fourth grade, and maybe third grade, I remember being at a family function, and one of my um, relatives had some whiskey going, and I was standing next to him. And he says, "Here," and he gave me that, and I took a big swig of that, and I went, <clears throat> you know. And I'm glad I never got that really desire, even from that moment, you know, that I need to go do that. Um, and I'm it almost like told me that's bad stuff, you know. But, you know, some, that's the first drink they have, and they never turn back. And I, I'm, I'm just saying, as a Christian, that's a big thing, you know. We've got to be careful about that. Uh, and there's other things. We could preach on all kinds of sins tonight and, and talk about that. But anyways, uh, the tongue. There's another one. The area of self-control. The tongue. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Again, here's anger and the tongue involved. Sometimes it's good not to say anything. Walk away. Whatever you do, don't write an email when you're angry and send it off, okay? Or post something on Facebook or Instagram or wherever else, right? And say, I'm angry, or, you know, in doing that. Um, a fool's lips enter into contention, and his mouth calls for blows. <laughs> and that's just like, you know, someone who comes in and he is, he is just bringing on a fight. And there's those that are like that. On the other hand, Proverbs twenty-one twenty-three: Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. I think that ought to be our prayer. Before you go to work, before you get up probably or you know out of bed and say, Lord, guard this tongue of mine today. And it's easy because sometimes even before you get out of bed, something has already landed for your day that's going to make you want to say something that you're going to regret. 
Proverbs 25:23. The north wind brings the north wind brings forth rain, and I would say snow also, and a backbiting tongue and angry countenance. Just like the wind does something and when it's a prevailing wind, you know what it's going to bring. Guess what? So the tongue of a backbiter is the same way. Quickly here, because I don't want to run out of time, but some approaches to control. Approaches to control. There's usually three areas of approach that, and these are strictly really ways people in general deal with it, not just believers. But some would say education. Like, for instance, you know, I was citing stats about drugs and overdoses and those kind of things. That's somewhat educating someone maybe um, to say, that's bad stuff, I'm not going to do that. And that might help, might. But we are the most educated people today in America and have access to more information than any generation before us. And yet, we're seeing those deaths, you know, spiral out of control in those areas. So it's not education only, although education in the Word of God, that's what we're also doing tonight. We're teaching the Scriptures and learning, right? And I will say this, that like in the book of Hosea, it talks about for lack of knowledge they perished, and they were perishing because they did not heed the Word of God. And my friends, we're going to see things undo in our society as we get further from the Bible and further from internalizing God's Word. And then, of course, this force. You can force submission onto somebody, right? Um, it's easier when it's someone who is like a little child, right? You can force them to do that. But you know, if you've had raised kids, you know exactly that you may you know, make them sit down, but in, uh, inside they're standing up still, and it's written all over their face. Force doesn't always work either. Um, you can force certain aspects on society, but the heart still remains uh, uncontrolled and that's really where God's word needs to inter- be internalized and then there's something called temperance and temperance is basically the control of uh, how would I put it like um, for instance like self-control and promoting self-control but it's not just like it's like doing without something like for instance the temperance movement in America was which started in the mid 1800s was to do away with alcohol. Eventually, it led to a constitutional amendment that prohibited alcohol in America. (laughs) But they said as soon as that was signed into effect, there was actually more alcohol being consumed in America. And eventually, it was repealed in the 1930s because they realized you cannot, through temperance, control what's in people's hearts and what they want to do. And temperance is... And by the way, I also think... During that time, the church in general got off focus, began to hound one issue, one sin, and got away from the gospel. And the gospel changes lives and changes hearts and frees people from addictions and frees people from from these things that enslave us in sin. And it's the only hope we have, ultimately. But yet, you can go through some, you know, a 12-step program, you can do those things, and they do have some measure of success with that. And there's reasons for that. But it, is, it will still not change the heart. And temperance basically says moderation is everything. And 
they moderate, you know, the consumption of alcohol or moderate various things. And again, I think the Bible says we need to repent from sin. And when you lump something in a, in a category where it's sin, you understand I'm repenting from certain, doing certain things. Um, and again, it's not the alcohol that is the, the enemy. It's the use of it. It's the consumption of it. Um, and that's where, you know, where I'm, go- where I'm going with that. Anyways, there's temperance. And none of those things, by the way, in and of themselves work. <laughs> um, they, they are parts of, you know, you can go through various programs and they focus on those areas and doing that. But you have to look more like at God's answer to self-control. And that is theologically really the new man and the old man. And that's how Romans 7 puts it when Paul talks about the old man. And the old man is that old nature which if you feed that old nature it comes right back to life. Even though positionally it's dead. That old nature. Um, But in practice it's not. And Paul talks about that. Doing what he wanted to do or not what he wanted to do. And you know he refers to that struggle from within the lust of the flesh and the spirit and they war against each other uh in doing that and it all comes down to an aspect of who's going to control you uh, and you have to be controlled by the holy spirit really proverbs fourteen twelve says there is a way that seems right to a man but its end is the way of death and we're just reminded of that that sometimes all our planning and procedures and programs and everything else may seem right but in the end it still leaves people lost and going to hell they might be sober but they're lost and going to hell and i that's why i think a faith-based program that you know incorporates sometimes some of the the things that help people free from addictions and whatnot are, are good and but implementing that aspect of biblical truth and internalizing it in practice is what really helps people not only overcome their sin that's enslaving them, but gives them eternal life. And that's what we really want to see. Proverbs twenty five twenty eight: Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. So again, that idea of control, and I often say self-control. I'm referring to that as just the... The idea that we are under control, not that I'm controlling myself, because there are strong-willed people that can control aspects of their life, but they're not necessarily led by the Lord to do that. They're just strong-willed. But someone who can rule his own spirit is like someone who would be a fortified city. That would be the opposite of that statement that Solomon writes for us. And I like this in Proverbs 10.17. It says, he who keeps instruction is in the way of life, but he who refuses correction goes astray. And ultimately, it's a matter of who you're going to be enslaved to. Are you a bondservant of Jesus Christ, or are you a, a slave to sin? And we are a slave one way or the other. One is a perfect master, one is not. And that aspect, I say the one who is a perfect master is the Lord and the only one worthy of being a master. No one else can live up to that. Uh, Galatians in the New Testament, in the context of the fruits of the Spirit, just previous to that, is the fruits of the flesh. 
It says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand. Just as I also told you in times past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, those are not the fruits of a, of a Christian. Look what he says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have, the, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. That's the secret. And it's not a like a hidden secret. It's open secret, right? It's the, it's the way that a Christian can be controlled and walk. Do we do that perfectly? No. I, know, I haven't met any believer yet that can walk in the Spirit 100% all the time. But as we are yielding ourselves to Him, those fruits come out. And we don't have to worry about the outbursts of anger and the jealousies and the wrath and letting our lust take over and doing things which would bring dishonor to our families and to ourselves and those kind of things. And I I think we need more believers who are led by him and not by those other things. Anyways, I think that um, once we, we do that, God will honor that. And as the Bible says, not only brings glory to that person, but glory to the Lord ultimately. And that's what it's all about. Lord, we are grateful. Grateful for these simple truths that probably just a good reminder for us tonight. And Lord, help us not to be controlled by our flesh. And Lord, we understand that we are but mortals and we are like dust and eventually these bodies will return to dust. And yet it's not the end for that either. And I pray, O God, that we would be wise in these days. And Lord, you'd give us strength for our years, our days ahead, whatever that might be. And that, Lord, we'd be honoring to you and strengthen us in these days also where we see so much chaos and so much anger and so many addictions and those things, Lord. And I pray, O God, you'd guard our hearts, our homes, our people And keep us from sin and sin's ways. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.